Good morning. Don't pay attention to the clouds. It's supposed to be nice today. Yeah, I don't care what the weatherman says. I actually, that's what he says. So, so I guess I do. That was a lie. I'm sorry. Well, I'm looking forward to today and eating together and celebrating baptisms and a baby dedication. Pretty cool, huh? I hope everyone can make it. It'll be fantastic. So um, before we get into the word this morning, let's uh, continue in some prayer, posture our hearts, calibrate our spirits to his and um, allow him to do whatever he wants to do this morning. So Lord, we thank you. I pray that when we say thank you and we hear ourselves say thank you, it wouldn't lose its power or meaning. We are truly thankful for who you are. And that thankfulness comes before you do anything out of the goodness of who you are. We're just thankful for who you are. But we're also thankful that out of your goodness, you bless us with your love and your grace, with your redemption, redemption power, redeeming power, with your forgiveness, with your joy, with your grace and your mercy. We're thankful. Lord, I pray a blessing over this morning, and we yield to you, we surrender to you our agenda, our agendas, our expectations, and we want to hear what you want to say. Believe me, Lord, I don't want to hear what I have to say. It won't be good. We want to hear what you have to say. So I pray that we would lay down anything and everything and um, pick up only that which you have for us this morning. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start this morning off by sharing something that doesn't have anything to do with the message. Is that all right? <laughs> I just thought it was funny. And, you know, oftentimes we say church is family, but we don't often share family stuff. And I think as a family, we can share family stuff. Can we not? So my, my four-year-old son took me to task this week. He woke up in the morning and I'm trying to sneak out of the house before they ask me a million questions to do stuff so I get to work on time. And he comes running around the corner and just so cute. And he says, hey, Dad, how's it going this morning? And I said, <laughs> very well, thank you. <laughs> and he says to me, um, or I say to him, I said, how are you, buddy? How are you doing this morning? He goes, I'm great. I'm fantastic. And then he stops, this little cute boy who does that whole, I'm great, I'm fantastic. He, he hikes up his pants like this, like he's about to say a power statement to me. He goes, there's just one thing, Dad. And I said, what's up, buddy? He goes, when are you going to talk yourself into a haircut? How about you go to your room? Ah, <laughs> oh, there's great joy. There is great joy to be had right in front of us in the midst of tyranny, persecution, suffering that's all around us as well. And one of the things that we're going to talk about this morning um, on the surface, we know it sounds wonderful and it sounds like a powerful thing, and it is. 
But what we're going to hear about this morning in Scripture, as far as some of these one another statements, we can easily kind of go, yeah, we're supposed to be about that. But when you look at the world around us, we really don't know how to do it. Because you see the suffering, you see the things around us, you see in our climate, you see the political stuff just running amok. You cannot look at the news without kind of going, Ugh, am I wrong? It doesn't matter where you stand. I'm not talking about that. When you look at the world around us, it's distressing. Uh, Denzel Washington, who was an actor, many of you know him, once said, if you don't read the news, you're, in you're, you're uninformed, and if you read the news, you're misinformed. <laughs> and the reason why that is true is because there's chaos and confusion all over the place. Now, where does love, the rule of love, the rule of the character and the person of Jesus Christ fit in a world of chaos where we cannot agree on anything, forget harmony, forget unity, those things are not possible right now. Why are they not possible? Because the world's gaze is not on Jesus. It's not. That's just a fact. In addition to that, more eyes are turning from him instead of toward him. And those whose eyes are on him are being persecuted, are being judged, many killed. Now, I'm not trying to give us a Debbie Downer message here. This is, you'll see in a minute, hopefully uplifting, but we don't, we don't want to forget and ignore the reality around us. That where there's great suffering, there's, there's even those little four-year-olds that make jokes that make you forget for a minute that there are these things around and joy still exists, which is true, is it not? We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians this morning, and Paul is writing this letter to uh, the church in Thessalonica, and, and he's writing from Athens, and he desperately, desperately wants to get back there, but he can't. And so what he does is he sends Timothy, one of his protégés, one of his uh, disciples, and Timothy goes. And so Timothy reports back that the faith in that church in, Th in Thessalonica is thriving. It's good. And Paul, this uplifts his heart in amazing ways because Paul cares about the spiritual condition of all the churches that have been established. He cares so deeply. And in the language in the first few chapters, he can't take it anymore. He needs to know how they're doing because his love for them is so deep and he cares for them so deeply. And we are going to be looking and we're going to be looking kind of all over the place today, but we're going to settle in chapter 3, verse 12. And and when we read this, it, it seems like another Pauline blessing at the end of a letter. But some of the, his best stuff is in how he sends people out from what he's just said and sends them into. And so remember, Paul's uh, hope is that this church is doing all right, that they are trusting God in a world that doesn't want to trust God. Does this sound familiar? in a world that doesn't want God, that would rather worship man-made idols, that would rather persecute those who have faith than be open to listening to it. So this is what Paul is engaging. And when we look uh, in this letter, 
in this blessing, we're going to see something pretty powerful. Now, he, he is now just telling them that he is expressing to the church, again, what I just said. He really wants to be there, but he, he sent Timothy instead. And that was a sacrifice, by the way. For Paul not to go was a sacrifice. It pained him. It was something that he had to, to give up. And so he says this in verse 11. Now, may our Lord, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. So he says what he wants. He really wants to get there. But may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as our, our love does for you. May God help your love increase. Now, that's great. Love one another. Hey, we know that. How many times when we look on the news or we look at protests, just love. Who's, who's heard that or seen that? We need more love in the world. Who's heard it? Come on. How many of you go, yeah, or how many of you roll your eyes because they're using a very, very weak definition? I kind of say both. Yes, amen. But not your kind of love. Because that kind of love creates what? Only chaos and confusion. And we don't even want to look at the news because it's, guess what? More chaos and confusion. So Paul is saying, now remember, Paul just heard that their love is abounding, that their love and faith is in good order. But Paul says what? He wants the Lord to increase your love for one another. So what he's heard is good, but he wants what's better. Well, that's fantastic. May your love increase. Uh, but how does that happen? <laughs> oh, I love them more, I love them more, I love them more. No, that's not a face that's screaming agape love. I'm starting to get concerned for you if you come to me going, I'm trying to love you, Mark. Okay. It's not about breaking blood vessels in your head to get to a point to for your love to increase. It's something else. Now, Paul continues in chapter 4, verse 9. He talks about love increasing yet again. He says, now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For, your, <clears throat> for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. So he's saying, yeah, you already do this. And in fact... You do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you to do so more and more. Wait, whoa. Time out. Paul has just said, we don't even need to write to you on brotherly love because guess what? You're already doing it. You're already loving one another. You're doing it. Yet... We want to encourage you to do it more and more. And that's not just often. It's not just often. It's about the depth. Because the word more in Greek means going beyond what is good. Doing better than what is good. That's, that's, just, that's not frequency. That's depth. That is the state of which it's in. The quality of it. So Paul is saying, we want you to go deeper. 
Tell me, even all the good things we just affirmed in you, it's time to do it even more so and more so. We want it to increase. Well, great, Paul. I want my love to increase, but I don't know how to do that. How many of you have been faced with an oppressor in your life that has oppressed you? Love them more. May your love increase for them more. How do you feel when I say that? Angry. What else? Frustrated. Keep going. Challenged. It's therapy time. Keep going. Sad. I mean, just ticked off. Upset. Resentful. Why would you ask me one to even love them? And now you want me to love them more and more and increase in my love for them? Because Paul's not just saying brotherly love, the people that are in the church. He's also saying with everybody. When you hear the horrible things on the news, how does your love, one, even go that direction of the oppressor, and two, increase daily? Can you figure out a way to do that? With the human tools we have, do you know how to do that? No. And when I say to you, well, keep working at it, let it increase, it's not helpful. I find Paul, what he's saying, not helpful, if I'm being honest. Well, great, I want my love to increase. Of course, in theory, I would love to love my enemies. I would love to love the annoying people in my life. I would love to love my family even more than I do. How do I do that? Well, remember, Paul has spent time with these people. He has shared with them, as, as people good at discipling do, they model that which has been modeled to them by Christ. So Paul has walked with these people. He has let them in to who God is in his life. And a lot of that is silence. We don't hear that. We don't see all of that. So it's not just him making a blanket statement without showing him how to do that. But how do we, having silence here from him, maybe in this regard, learn how to allow our love to increase by God's grace? I'm going to tell you this morning. Well, Jesus is going to tell you. Now, here's where we're going to flip around a little bit. If you could turn to John 15. And for many of us, this passage is familiar. We know it. We can maybe cite it by memory. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that, one, he hasn't already done, or is doing, and two, hasn't shown us how. So he gives us a way, and he shows us the way. Maybe not in our timing, maybe not in the way we want, but he does. And so I'm going to hop in at verse 4 here. This is the famous passage where Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, abide in me, or remain in me, and I will remain in you. What does that mean? Remain in me, and I will remain in you. This isn't a, just think about me, and I'll think about you. This is a, an intimate posture of proximity, almost to the point 
being shoulder to shoulder is still not what he's asking. A fusion of hearts with his. Remain in me. Trust me. The word humility means to compare yourself to God and know where you truly stand. Did you know that? It's when you compare yourself to God, you see where you are, a lowly state but deeply loved. It's not self-deprecating. You're not diminishing yourself. It's knowing who you are. And he is saying, remain in me. Know who I am. And we trust him because he's greater than us. And so we know our place. And he's saying, even though I'm greater than you, I still want you to be right where I am. That's just verse 4. I'm going to read like 10 more verses to you. <laughs> remain in me. This is a promise. This is a reality. And I will remain in you. I will be there. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless what? You remain in me. Meaning no life, no real life happens outside of me. We've tried really hard to create life and it doesn't compare to the life God has made. And then he continues to speak. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, what? You can do nothing, nada. No accomplishment that we ever do outside of Christ can get us to where he has already gotten us if we choose to be where he is. No achievement, no breakthrough in science, no personal breakthrough that you've created on your, on your own can compare to the life of God. None of it. So there's a different definition of what life is here. Because the life that Christ brings, we can't get without him. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now this is not for your own self-interest. This means he gives you him. Ask in my name for him in the sense of what he wants, and he's going to grant that. It's not, ooh, I want a Ferrari today, and I'm going to ask you in the name of Jesus, can I have a Ferrari? Oh, yeah, because you asked in my name. Here you go. This is about, you get more of me. I'm going to reveal more of myself. And here he says, and this is where the instruction comes. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. What? What? Now remain in what? My love. Who he is. Remain in my love. If you obey my, my, my commands, you will remain in my love. And it's not so much do this and you'll be there. It's when you're there, you keep my commandments. Because everything now is bearing fruit because you're with me. You will do the right things without trying to do the right things because they'll flow out of you because I am flowing out of you. Whoa! That, that turns works upside down. And still remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father, my father's commands and remained in his love. 
He's not saying because I've done these commandments, the Father has given me, now I'm in his love. No, he's saying because I'm in his love, I have kept his commandments. I've done everything he's asked me to do. I have told you this, he says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's what he says. How do you do it? By staying with Jesus. It doesn't matter the garbage you read on the news. We remain in God's love and who he is, and it will bear fruit. It will bear harmony. It will bear unity. It will bear grace and mercy in the midst of suffering and tyranny. That's what he does. It is not what you do for him. It is how you are with him. And I will make a bold statement. If we as the church are not teaching with Jesus, remain in me, we are missing everything. Everything. We are meant to be an example to the church and to the world of what it means to do the simple task of remaining with Jesus. Oh my goodness, we teach it as parents. Kids, stay here, stay here, stay with me. Why? Because you'll be safe. Why? Because you'll experience life and not death. Why? Because you'll experience joy where you're meant to be. I mean, Jesus has drawn it out in crayon with the parent and child relationship. We see it every day when we have healthy relationships and the parent goes to work. If we are so blessed, our kid is hanging on our legs saying, don't go, don't go. I want to be where you are. That has to be our posture. One of the greatest things that happened to me ever, ever, Okay, in the history of my life has happened over the last couple of weeks. And all my kids have expressed this, but my son has been the latest one to express it. I wanted space. How many as parents, you want space sometimes? And their kids, somehow they have an alarm. Dad wants space, dad wants space. Engage, engage, engage. <laughs> and space goes out the window. I just want to go out, walk the dog, sit down, watch the dog run around, take a breath, come back. You know what my son says? He comes running down. He goes, Dad, I just, I'm going to go wherever you go. I just want to be where you are. How do I say no to that? And guess what? You don't have a father who's ever even experiencing tension with that question. It's always yes. He doesn't want space. He wants engagement. And Jesus says it himself, remain in me and I will remain in you and you will experience life, life that you can't create for yourself, life that you and all the leaders of the world cannot produce with all your imaginations. Even if you are in agreement, you cannot produce the life that I can produce outside of me. You can't. When we hear love one another and allow your love to increase more and more and more, you cannot do it by, unless you're receiving the love of God so you know what the love of God looks like and receive more of it. Because if I try to love someone with my version of love, it will not produce life. But if I am walking with Jesus and I do not do it perfectly and he's not asking you to, he says, walk with me. Does he not? Does he say, walk with me perfectly? No, if that were the case, there's no need for grace. Grace affords us the space 
to continue to engage him and fail as we're engaging him and continue to move forward. I'm not saying about intentionally sinning. I'm saying that when we fail, we miss the mark quite often. His grace lifts us up and brings us back into relationship with him and to continue to walk with him. That's the beauty of it. And it's simple. To stay with me. Just be where I am. And, and as you remain in me, as you get close to me, I will do the same. Because, now I'm speaking for him here, he's, because he's saying, there's no way I'm going to reject you. <laughs> there's just no way I'm going to say, no, I need my space. No, invade my space. We don't have to be passive-aggressively polite with him and go, mm, I don't know if I'm worthy. Oh, we need to get over that. We're not. I, I settled it for you. We're not worthy. Not by deeds, but he says by who we are, his children, we are. It doesn't matter how much my kids do to make me upset. They are worthy because they're mine. And if no one likes it, tough. How much more is the God of the universe saying that to us? We got to stop making this whole walk with Jesus something it's not. Now, when we walk with him, will he go to the ends of the earth to make himself known through us? Yes. Will he send us on mission? Yes. But that's not what it's all about. It's not all about to accomplish those things. Those things are accomplished so that people will know and understand that remaining in him. Not just the belief of him. Even Satan believes in Jesus. It's about loving him and learning to walk in that love and express that love with ever-increasing glory. And you can only do that if that love is flowing in and out of you by the King of Kings. It is the only way. And as we abide in him and he in us, whew, our love will increase more and more and more and more and more. And I will end with this. Well, how does this, how does this work in the midst of, when the boots are on the ground? I have a uh, season in my life where there was an oppression that happened to me that I feel foolish and ashamed and refuse to be a victim of it, but it messed with me. And years ago, I was standing in that corner when I first got here, and there was someone who did that same oppression to someone else of a vile, vile standard. And someone told me that they were there, and they wanted prayer, and they told me what that person had done. And I was standing in there, and what did I feel? Everything that we said at the beginning. No, I'm mad. I'm resentful. Forget it. I hate you. You should die. You should this. You, there should be just, a, a, a righteous justice according to Brendan. But coming in here and praying for you in the name of Jesus is out of, out of the question. And someone who knew what I had gone through was walked me through the doorway and... <sighs> I had enough sense to say, Lord, what do you want to say? So I'm abiding now. And from that door to that way, to that corner over there, I was able to love that person, to cry and pray with that person, 
and not be ruled by my anger and my pain and my hurt. That's a hundred feet. And Jesus took me from anger, rage, a false sense of justice, and brought me into the very grace of the heavenlies because we have no right being there with him. But he says you do if you choose to and abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear fruit in the midst of death. He brought me from death to bearing fruit, and it wasn't about me. Glory happened in that corner, and glory happened in that journey to that corner. That same journey is here for us as the church, to show everyone around us in small moments that we may call small moments and big moments, to simply abide in him. The reason why we have these questions, because they help us stay in an abiding relationship with Jesus. It's repetitive. It can be annoying. It's annoying to me because I have to, I'm teaching it. And then when someone says, have you asked what the Lord wants to say? Have you? <laughs> but it doesn't make it any less true. One of the greatest works of the enemy is to make what's powerful become overly familiar until we don't pay attention into more, into it anymore and joke about it. And now it's a tagline. Now it's a bumper sticker. Now it's this thing. Jesus said it himself. The only way you can love is because I loved you first. And the only way that you can stay there is remaining in my love. That's what he says in the scripture over and over. Remain in my love. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And then I've said it a hundred times, and I'm going to say it again. He says in John 17, I simply, God, God, my Father, I simply want the people, the children you've given me to be where I am so that they can see the glory you've given me. That's the intent of your life. It is the purpose of your life to be where he is. All these one another statements are not about behavior. They're about posture so that we can be with him. When we are doing these things righteously one another and righteously only comes from his presence, not your behavior, when we do that, then, then people will see. They will see that love increase and increase and increase. These one another statements, again, are not about behavior. They're about posture, this posture. So when we commune today over wonderful home-cooked food, which I am excited about. When we celebrate the decisions that some of our people have made to walk with Jesus through the waters of baptism, we will abide in Jesus and watch the joy that we thought could happen increase a hundredfold. We will watch and celebrate people deciding to walk and remain in Jesus. That's what baptism is about. It is not something we say, oh, we got believers. No. It represents the decision to walk with Jesus, period. It doesn't matter what you do. But to remain in him, and that's something we should celebrate. So when we... Uh, we get there, let's enjoy what we have. Let's enjoy the God that loves us and enjoy the people we get to walk with in that love as he walks with us. Amen? Let's pray. 
Lord, we are overwhelmed by the goodness of your heart and the simplicity of your instruction. So often we could look at your word and go, it's so complicated. No, it's simple. You said it in the garden, walk with me. You say it now, walk with me. Be with me. Stay with me. Thank you for the choice to choose that because it says that you truly are love. Love does not come without choice. And I thank you that you want us where you are. You want us to engage. You don't need space. You want us to be where you are. And we thank you that you don't hide yourself either. So I pray in Jesus' name that today would be a joyous occasion, not just because there's baptisms and dedications happening, because it's a new day and an opportunity to know you better and to love more deeply and to love even when we don't want to love. And we thank you that you can take hate and when we bring it to you, transform it into unconditional love that brings healing, life, and wholeness because apart from you, we can do nothing. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, the name above.
Trust you, Lord, I trust you. 